literally looks like a tornado because it was so much wind out of nowhere. It happened so quickly. Everyone thought like maybe I could have saw it coming. It, it happened so quickly. Definitely makes me appreciate like way more from a different look. I'm just sorry that I had to land on somebody else. Well, luckily, everyone is okay. Glad she and her baby are all right. I'm Nicole Burley. That's all for News Nation Now. We thank you for watching. We'll give you a quick look at a primetime lineup before The Hill starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Hill on News Nation, heading into the holiday weekend. And it's an absolutely beautiful day here in the nation's capital. I'm Chris Steyerwald. I'm News Nation's political editor. And joining me on our esteemed panel today are our friend Scott Bolden. He's the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman. You know Julia Manchester. She's the national political reporter for The Hill. Bill McGinley. Lost his necktie, but found his way here. Uh, he is a former Trump White House cabinet secretary. And Kelly Meyer, our friend, our colleague, the best Washington correspondent for News Nation. Okay. Residents of Florida on the Gulf Coast are still cleaning up from the damage left by Hurricane Idalia. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis toured the damage in Live Oak today. Just because, you know, you have the surge at the coast... The, the damage was not limited to that. I mean, it ripped through all of uh, North Central Florida. There's a lot of stuff that's going to need to be done, and we are going to be here to help uh, bring, bring this all in for a landing. Meanwhile, another Florida man, former President Donald Trump, has been doing some ripping of his own, ignoring the hurricane and going after his home state governor and other political rivals, fundraising and, of course, venting about his legal woes. Panel, dear panel, uh, I want to start because you're, you are the farthest away from me, Kelly. So I want to, I want, I want to reach across the divide as we like to do I here on the you. Hill. That's right. No, 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 no. You're here. You're here. You can kick me under the table. Kelly. Okay. Ron DeSantis, I think we can say has basically passed the test here. He got through the, the storm wasn't as bad maybe as people had feared. Things basically got through, uh, Donald Trump taking it a different way. How, what do you read out of the juxtaposition between Trump and DeSantis on this matter? I think, you know, for voters that we've been talking to in those early nominating states, they're looking at this and they see Florida Governor Ron DeSantis taking the lead and being a real leader in the state, um, having press conferences, keeping people informed, uh, and then Trump taking the other route. And what I've heard from voters is that they really don't like this, you know, Trump kind of calling people out, focusing on this negativity with his other contenders. And as he is like tweeting about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, as he's just trying to help those affected by the hurricane, this might not work with voters. They're a little sick of this. Uh, Bill, one of the things that many people who have worked for Donald Trump and many Republicans have been grateful for over the years is that he is not on Twitter anymore, or he only occasionally appears on Twitter to <laughs> vent. Um, do you think there's any harm for Trump politically in being out here talking about Ron DeSantis and tweeting out or, or truthing out, sharing his truth on his mugshot? Does this have political resonance with anybody or is this just a beltway lip flap? I think it's mostly a beltway lip flap simply because his supporters are used to this and expected from him. 
I do think that Governor Santos has taken advantage of an opportunity here to show how he can actually understand how to respond to tragedies like this uh, in incidents, uh, pre-positioning the assets, making sure that the rescue teams and first responders are there, the power trucks and everybody else to try and do a quick recovery um, in the state. And I think juxtaposing that with what happened in Maui, um, where there seems to be a cascading mismanagement uh, uh, problem over there with the fires, I think, has worked really well to the governor's advantage. So your stock ticker is uh, DeSantis gets the little green arrow, Trump unchanged. Yes. That's that's where we go. Do you agree with that, Joey Manchester? Um, you know, I think DeSantis certainly gets a bump out of this hurricane coverage. This is, I think, when Governor DeSantis is his best. We saw it last year during Hurricane Ian. We saw it during the building collapse in Surfside, Florida. He's very good at doing the job he was elected to do and responding to these crises. That being said, I don't know if that necessarily translates to early primary state and caucus state voters. Um, you know, if you look at Florida, for example, Ron DeSantis among Republican primary voters in Florida is very popular, but Republican primary voters still choose Donald Trump. And I think that's probably what we're going to see in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. We'll see if it can, if, you know, there is a bump, but right now, um, I think it's going to be minimal. Scott, the famous Mario Cuomo quote, mm-hmm. uh, you campaign in poetry or I guess tweets uh-huh. uh, and govern in prose. Right. Uh, do we have an electorate that doesn't care about the pros of governing anymore, at least in the primaries? I think they care about it. But listen, you've got to get elected governor. You've got to get elected president. And to, you've got to campaign and people vote for who they like, who they want to sit down and have a beer with. Nothing DeSantis has done right now says I want to sit down or even a Republican voter wants to sit down and have a beer with him. I certainly want him there. If there's a hurricane or a disaster, he's really good at that. He's not moving in the polls, and he's got to figure out a way to either go through Donald Trump or figure out how to be more likable and comfortable campaigning nationwide. I don't. I, good, good, good luck. Good luck is what I say. Good luck is what I say. Meantime, all eyes are on Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell after yet another health scare. For the second time in five weeks, he seemed to freeze while speaking to reporters. The conservative tastemakers at National Review are now urging McConnell to step aside from his leadership post. In its latest editorial, the publication says the time has come for the Kentucky senator after his long, impressive run to make the decision to step aside from leadership. Prudence and realism have been hallmarks of his leadership and now are called for in considering his own future. Joining me now is Rich Lowry. He's the editor-in-chief of National Review, my friend and a person who knows things. Uh, Rich, thanks for being with us. Tastemaker, wow, Chris. You make it sound like we're telling people what to match up with their glass of Pinot Noir. At night, uh, I, assu- I assume there's a wine club. If you, I, I assume there, there's, there, there there's actually got was. To, there, there was for there, a while. You, you got us there. At the at the dispatch, it's all just bratwurst. Uh, okay, um, this did not come easily or lightly. I know from you guys because I know of the of the respect and admiration that many uh, in your pages have had for McConnell and his leadership inside the Republican Party for the past decade. Walk us through the thinking around this. Yeah, we're, we're huge admirers of McConnell. He's obviously the most consequential and effective Senate leader of this era. But, um, whoops, we got a little, uh, some sort of alarm going on here. But I'm, I'm going to fight right through it, Chris, as long as that's see if you, okay. See if you can get through it. Yeah. So, um, 
You know, people around McConnell say he's still completely lucid outside of these two incidents, which were very concerning. To, to the layman, it seems more than lightheadedness, but maybe it was lightheadedness. But our view is, look, he's visibly aged since he had this bad fall in March. Go out on your own terms. Do it for yourself. Do it for your colleagues. Do, I, do it while I can still plot it out, where you're not, not suffering any more humiliations. And you can give a really, you know, well-deserved, thoughtful farewell speech. And I expect, you know, this could be a slow burn thing. He doesn't have to do it today, tomorrow or next week, but eventually that's what he'll do. Rich, I am concerned about your safety because I feel like someone <laughs> is about to come in and take I'm you out running, of here. Chris. I'm, I'm, you're I'm not running, Chris. You're not running. Okay, totally that's unafraid. good. Cable news, cable news comes first. Um, I, I Just quickly, so Nancy Pelosi laid out a, a path for that McConnell could follow, which is she didn't resign from the House. She stayed in the yeah. House even as she stepped aside as Democratic leader. Uh, and I was I, I worried for Hakeem Jeffries. Would she be undercutting his authority? It seems to have worked the other way. Could something like that work for yeah. Mitch McConnell? Yeah, no, I think totally. By the way, this kind of siren is what went off when we first ran this, this editorial. It's such, <laughs> such, such a big deal. The but NRSC was sending scuds. I know. Yeah, I think that's the, the model, right? I mean, he, he doesn't seem fundamentally debilitated. Thank God. But leadership is it's a tougher role, requires more energy. So step aside from that on the Pelosi model and he'll still be highly influential. Right. He's been around forever. He's very shrewd. Uh, His colleagues uh, love and respect him. They'll seek out his his advice. So that that seems a real plausible model. Well, look, I, one, one thing that we know all the, the certainly the folks in the Senate uh, that I talk to, staffers and whatever, the one thing that they can count on Mitch McConnell for, they know, is to be a good quarterback in mm-hmm. a campaign cycle. Uh, and the clock is running down on that. How much do you think that considerations about getting Republicans ready for the next campaign cycle should influence McConnell's decision? Here? Some and obviously some Republicans. We saw this from Nikki Haley. They, they want to criticize Biden, understandably, for being quite aged and declining in front of our eyes. And it's awkward if you have a majority leader who's having these sort of incidents. So she is very harsh about McConnell. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a personal decision. He's not going to get pushed. There's some reporting today, as you know, oh, there's going to be a special caucus meeting called by uh, McConnell critics to, to force something on him. That's not going to happen. It's going to happen on, on his terms. And again, I don't, it's not going to happen immediately, but I expect it, it will happen by the end of the year. Well, one of the things that, that I admire about you, I think everybody admires about you and your publication is you say hard things even when uh, you, you get a little blowback. And that's, they send the scuds what, in and they have to ring the alarms. That's, that's what tastemakers <laughs> do. It's not just about your Pinot. Rich Lowry, thank you so much for thank making you. time for us and have a great holiday weekend. Okay, panel, I want you to hear, he referenced Nikki Haley. And I want you to hear what Nikki Haley had to say because she is feeling her oats these days. Let's take a listen to what Nikki Haley did have to say. It's sad. No one should feel good about seeing that, you know, any more than we should feel good about seeing Dianne Feinstein, any more than we should feel good about a lot of what's happening or seeing Joe Biden's decline. What I will say is right now, the Senate is the most privileged nursing home in the country. Now, that's a good, Ooh. yeah, that's a good soundbite, right? Like that's, she could have yeah. said that differently. That's a good, that's a good soundbite right there. You, you, you have to give her credit for that. But, Counselor, we'll start with you this time. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality for Nikki Haley is that's an appealing line. Being against Mitch McConnell is popular with a big chunk of the Republican base. The MAGA vote, those folks hate Mitch McConnell. They've hated him 
with the white hot passion of 10,000 sons for 10 years. They run against him in primary races. Mm -hmm. Does that help Nikki Haley with the Republican primary electorate, do you think? We'll have to see. It's a good line. But again, she hasn't moved in the polls either. She's still in single digits. Uh, With Mitch McConnell, uh, when you go to kill the king, Politically, at least, you got to kill yeah, the king, yeah, yeah. and nobody's going to force him out. This he's been really—he's been the most consequential um, GOP political person, whatever his title is, totally. to the Republican Party, and they owe that to him. That Supreme Court—that Supreme Court is uh, as every bit yeah. as much Mitch McConnell's Supreme Court as it is Donald Trump's. Uh, my question uh, for you uh, is: When we think about who replaces McConnell. John Thune, yeah. John Cornyn, Shelley Capito. Who's the who? Do, who what what are your many sources on the well, telling you? Your guess is as good as mine, and I think that's probably the issue that Republicans on Capitol Hill, particularly in the Senate, are facing right now. Who replaces him? There is really no clear heir apparent, and that's an issue because we know that you know as we've seen the House and House Republicans sort of devolve into a bit of turmoil in terms of the Freedom Caucus and working with moderates and such. The Senate has really stood firm as being very moderate, establishment Republican, your traditional Republican brand. Um, and that's because, in many ways, of Mitch McConnell and his leadership and him pushing that out there. If there's infighting between these other Republicans and there's no clear heir apparent, that's going to be a huge issue for them going forward. So how does entropy in the Senate affect the way Republicans think about the 2024 election. Mitch McConnell reassured uh, a lot of Republicans that when Trump said, we want to get rid of the filibuster, or we're going to do this, or we're pulling the troops, he tweet, we'll, we'll pull the troops out of here, or whatever, that Mitch McConnell, to your point, was a the cooling saucer and that, the, and that he wasn't a pushover and that he held the line on many things. What do Republican? What are, what are the the quiet normals in Washington thinking <laughs> as they think about okay? What about Trump without McConnell? Yeah, I, I really think number one, Mitch McConnell has a legacy with the Supreme Court, as you stated earlier. But I think one of the things to be watching is the succession battle that goes on behind the scenes, because with these two incidents happening, nobody is going to force out Mitch McConnell. But what it does do is bring a sense of urgency. What is going to be the succession plan with Senate Republicans? And one of the places I would look to see what the tea leaves are is going to be in candidate recruitment. Because you have three states where the Senate Republicans believe that they could potentially pick up the majority, Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio. And how do those primaries play out in the McConnell machine help shape those primaries? And so the succession plan and who comes into the Senate, I think, is going to be some really interesting uh, plays. Kelly, uh, one of the people vouching for Mitch McConnell's mental acuity was Joe Biden. Uh, 81-year-old says 81-year-old is <laughs> is ready to go and good for office. Um, there's a new book out about, or soon to be out, uh, from Franklin Foer about the Biden administration the first two years. It's this incredibly deep dive into all of this stuff. Uh, it's called The Last Politician. I want you to look at this passage here. Uh, it was striking that he took so few morning meetings or presided over so few public events before 10 a.m. His public persona reflected physical decline and times dulling mental facu- and times dulling of mental faculties that no pill or exercise regime can resist. There's other points in this book where he goes through and he talks about how frustrated McConnell is, or McConnell, how frustrated the president is about being coddled and babied and having aides clean up his comments and the frustration with that and that he just feels tired sometimes. Uh, 
Nikki Haley's point underneath is it's we can't attack McConnell. We can't attack Biden for being too old if McConnell is freezing up at these press conferences. Talk about that. Well, and we heard from the White House today and and the other day pushing back on this, saying this is a ridiculous assumption that he is not taking any meetings before 10 a.m. They're saying that everybody's cherry picking these excerpts that they're playing. um, And they're saying that allies are pointing to Biden as the father figure in the West and that he is um, been a huge support in the war uh, against Russia with helping Ukraine. Um, But I will say with with McConnell, you know, there's a lot of questions that remain. And we were covering this yesterday about what exactly is going on? You know, we just saw that medical statement from the attending capital physician that really just evaluated, as far as we know, the video. I tried to follow up and ask, did, was this in person? Was this virtual? Did he just examine the video that we have all seen um, and and find out what more they're saying here? Are they? Is he going to be examined in person um, and what the plan is? Because we don't know for sure that he is returning. They just said his, he's going to go back to his schedule as planned. But does that mean in Kentucky or is he going to be here on Capitol Hill on Tuesday? And this is not the time for a slip, right? Uh, this is not the time for a slip. Okay. Turning now to Georgia, where Governor Brian Kemp took some of his fellow Republicans to the woodshed for a proposal by state legislators to interfere in the criminal prosecution of Donald Trump. Let's listen. The bottom line is that in the state of Georgia, as long as I'm governor, we're going to follow the law and the Constitution, regardless of who it helps or harms politically. Now, that is, uh, the I believe the term in West Virginia, I don't know what they say in Georgia, but that's a stud duck, right? That's the, that's the, that is a guy walking around his barnyard that says, I feel very confident uh, that I can, I can handle this. Julia, when we think about uh, Brian Kemp, there's a kind of um, what might have been for Republicans, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who... Donald Trump brought the big guns for him down in Georgia. He recruited a former senator to primary him for the first time ever put his own money, right. not his, but the, somebody else's money that they gave Trump, put it into the race to try to unseat Kemp. Kemp won, mm-hmm. won the primary and then a commanding win in a general election. And here's a guy who has a, I don't know, a plain spoken way of talking about these things that many Trump uh, critics uh, or foes struggle with. What did you say? Yeah, yeah. And you still hear Republicans invoking Brian Kemp along with Glenn Youngkin as these, um, you know, it's wishful thinking as these potential Trump uh, rivals or people who could potentially be- defeat Trump. But look, that's uh, Brian Kemp. Um, he's sticking it to Donald Trump. He's and his supporters. He's very much uh, holding his ground uh, like we've expected him to do in Georgia. Um, you know, in terms of how it impacts his base, look, he's a very popular governor among and he's reelected right he's Mm reelected so he can he can do this scott what about this idea of using the legislature so basically the idea and it was a little cockamamie but we'll we'll we'll, we'll entertain it uh there was a a clack of lawmakers in georgia that said we're going to defund the fulton county da's office to punish them for prosecuting donald trump uh is that a thing could that actually work if they if they had legislative support for it well, it could work if they had legislative support for it, but 
Governor Kemp just put the whammy on that. The kibosh, that's right. Kibosh on that. And it's short-sighted. It's like the same sugar high Trump is experiencing. You shut down that office. You shut down the criminal justice system. And how can you say you're a member of the GOP if you're not for law and order? So you hurt a lot of people. But the one thing about Kemp and Youngkin that distinguishes them, they both won. They're both very popular governors. And they won without Donald Trump's help. And so that's the future of the Republican Party. If I was a Republican, that's where I would be looking, and they're proving it every day. If you were a Republican, you would not be dressed nearly as well. <laughs> you, would not, you would not even have a necktie on, apparently, is where, we're, is where, is where this is I going I like my neckties. Well, because you, you're, you're, you're rocking it hard. It's good. Okay, coming up, cartels and the campaign trail. Presidential candidates raise the specter of U.S. troops in Mexico. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Mexico's president has strong words for GOP hopefuls. Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador Manlo to his friends, pushing back after leading Republican presidential candidates proposed military actions to fight cartels inside Mexico. He called the idea offensive and disrespectful, saying that such moves would not go unanswered. Okay, uh, I want you guys. I want you guys to hear. Uh, what Ron DeSantis had to say about this, just for a framing. What did Ron DeSantis have to say? He was asked uh, uh, in the debate last week whether or not he would put, he would deploy special forces inside Mexico, and he said he would on day one. I think we can hear what uh, Ron DeSantis had to say in the debate. The president of the United States has got to use all available powers as commander in chief to protect our country and to protect the people. So when they're coming across, yes, we're going to use lethal force. Yes, we reserve the right to operate. Okay, Bill, how do you send special forces in? So leaving aside uh, Obrador's understandable peak at being uh, said that he would be stealth invaded by President Ron DeSantis. Is there a legal way that you could rationalize how the U.S. government could, without the welcome of a foreign power, send troops into another country? Well, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that this situation is created because Joe Biden's completely abandoned the southern border and we've had millions of people come across. Fentanyl is now one of the leading killers across the country um, in many cities, especially amongst 18 to 49 year olds. And so that is the reaction to what this crisis has actually done. In terms of the legal basis, some of the things that we need to acknowledge, the cartels are transnational criminal organizations, not unlike al-Qaeda, not unlike ISIS, um, who were terrorist organizations who operated in many countries and came across uh, and attacked the homeland. And so if the president can actually fashion a rationale as to why there needs to be an excursion in because of an imminent threat to a border town, there may be a legal basis for that to be done. I think that's a situation of last resort. Diplomacy needs to be the tip of the spear here to get the Mexicans to come back and actually try and secure the border from their side. But we need to do our part. These border towns are suffering under the weight of this. Kelly, the biggest lie, uh, the most common lie in American politics is on day one. 
on day one, the moment that I am elected, the the, the earth will will soothe itself. Things will be. What did Obama say? The the oceans will stop their rise. All of that stuff. Uh, do you really think that if Ron DeSantis was president on day one, he would send special forces into Mexico to fight the cartels? I'm, I mean, I don't, it's a lot to promise for day one, but I will say what for voters I've been talking to on the trail, this is the number one issue. When I ask them, what are the main issues for you? For every person I ask, it's border. And I think for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to come out with such a strong stance, that really might resonate with these voters that want to see it handled, especially maybe for the more extreme voters that really just want to see this fixed um, and, and maybe in, in any way possible. Julia, does anybody care, does any American voter care whether uh, Monlo is upset with Ron DeSantis? Is that, is, does that probably help him in the Republican primaries? It, it helps him in the primary. It allows, it gives him a soundbite. It gives him something he can use um, when he's speaking to voters, when he's doing these rallies. But look, this line he has about sending lethal force to the border, this was a part of his border plan that he uh, that he released. And he's you know said it a number of times. And it came at a time when he was running, and he still arguably is, trying to run to the right of Donald Trump. So he's trying to out-Trump Trump. On the border, and this is what we're how he's doing it. Okay. He's out illegaling uh, Donald Trump, if that's a word. It's ridiculous. You can't invade a sovereign country and then put billions into Ukraine. It makes no sense. Gonna- and the international criminal organization you're talking about, you can't do that unless you've got cooperation from Mexico. And so there are hundreds of troops at the border under Biden. Millions of dollars are being invested. And the immigration process or the, the challenge still comes on the Democrats as well as the Republicans, right. even with the wall. They, Which is why that, I said Trump uh, did not the, finish. The, uh, we just will leave it here. He's going to uh, send special forces and make Mexico pay for it. OK, coming up, <laughs> coming up, government shutdown, impeachment or both. We'll talk to one of the Republicans making life difficult for leaders in both parties. Welcome back. The House is scheduled to return this month after its summer recess. Yay. Uh, With time running out to reach a deal to prevent a government shutdown, one of the first things on the agenda for House Republicans is an impeachment inquiry of President Biden. If you look at all the information we've been able to gather so far, it is a natural step forward that you would have to go to an impeachment inquiry. And just so your your um, viewers understand what that means, that provides Congress the apex of legal power to get all the information they need. That, of course, is House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, talking about he's ready to go. Joining us now is Virginia Congressman Bob Good. He's a man of strong opinions, both on impeachment and government spending. He represents the fighting fifth from central and southern Virginia, James Madison's old congressional district. Congressman, thank you for being with us. Indeed. Indeed. James okay. Madison was the first member of Congress from the fifth district. That's right. It's a pretty good that's it's a that's a pretty good pedigree. Uh, okay, I want to read to you 
a couple of points of view from within your own conference. Uh, Don Bacon, Republican from Nebraska, we should have some clear evidence of a high crime or misdemeanor, not just assuming there may be one. I think we need to have more concrete evidence to go down that path. Uh, that's what he had to say about the possibility of uh, an impeachment inquiry. He's not there yet. But Marjorie Taylor Greene has a different point of view. She says that she will not even vote for Congress uh, to uh, proceed with spending measures uh, unless she already has assurances that that impeachment uh, proceeding is underway. Where are you on this? Give us the lay of the land in your conference. Well, thanks for asking, Chris. And I was watching the previous segment, and frankly, because of the border invasion that's been facilitated by this president on purpose, willfully, intentionally, the president ought to be impeached for that. He's violating his oath of office to protect the United States. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution says it's the responsibility of the federal government to protect the states from invasion. How do we let a president continue the policies that he's undertaking where he stopped border security on purpose? You talked about on day one. He did that on day one. He intentionally ceased border security, surrendered control of our border to the Mexican crime cartels. That do said, you think, there is growing do you think evidence. President Biden, do you think President Biden wants that flow of illegal immigration and he wants those things? You say it's intentional. Do you think that that is his desire that fentanyl flood into the United States? Well, we can debate what we think his motivations are or what his desires are, but the facts are he ceased border security. He has allowed no uh, security at the border, no improvements to the border. As you know, we had to pay out millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of contracts that were already undertaken to secure the border. We've allowed materials to rot and rust there at the border. Walls are not the perfect solution. They're not a panacea, but certainly a wall is a helpful tool. Border Patrol will tell you that. I've been there five times myself. This is an unprecedented invasion by the southern at the southern border. I would submit, Chris, that never in the history of the country has our own president done more to intentionally harm the United States than what he's done on the border alone. We should not allow that to continue for another uh, couple of years of his term. We ought to impeach him for that, but uh, beyond but the, even the, the a- actions of the... But it's that, it's that word intentionally that... It's that word intentionally. Do you think that Joe Biden wants those things to happen? I can understand certainly an argument where you would say that you think he's incompetent or he's misguided or he doesn't understand or he has bad policies. You keep saying intentionally... Do you think that Joe Biden wants fentanyl and murderers and rapists and these people to come into the United States illegally? Well, I don't think he's that incompetent. You might argue that he's incompetent. So I think he knows what he's doing. He promised in the campaign trail on in 2020 that he was going to stop the border wall. Uh, you had those individuals wearing the Joe Biden T-shirts uh, as soon as he was sworn in coming into the country. The numbers are astronomical. They're historic. Chris, we've had some, what, 1.5 million criminal gotaways. The ones who don't come in and surrender for the free education, free travel, free health care, free social service, even free housing at, at government expense, at taxpayer expense. You've got the 1.5 million criminal gotaways who wear the carpet shoes and they're in camo head to toe and they're evading apprehension at the border, even though we simply, for the most part, catch and release them, we're not really turning anyone away. If if 90% of those were wonderful individuals who were just confused, you'd have 150,000 just dangerous actors into the country. Irreparable harm has been done. If we sealed the border today, Chris, it took 19 people to perpetrate 9-11. Congressman, do you think that the president should be impeached even if he's just wrong? 
Do you think that it's that that it does it require uh, uh, is it enough for it just to be in your mind misfeasance? Or does it have to be malfeasance? Does he have to have mean intentionally, as you say, to have done harm to the country? Or do you think that it's sufficient that he is, in your opinion, incompetent to seek to remove the president from office? I I can only conclude that it is intentional. He ended remain in Mexico. Again, he ended the border wall itself. He does not allow the National Guard or even the Border Patrol to turn those away who come into our country. They're taken into our care and our custody. I've been on the plane. I've been the border five times in my first two and a half years, and I've had illegals literally on my plane in my seat with their envelope that says where they're going because they don't speak English. Had one of them show it to me, and it says, hey, you, you'll have, we're flying you to Miami. Uh, you're not legal in this country, but we'll get back with you at some point date in the future with a court date. This is a, a disaster for the American people. It's a national security issue, and it's, it has to be intentional on the part of this president. How do we let this continue with a Republican majority in the House? Congressman Bob Good, they don't call it the fight. Not the to mention 100,000 dying from fentanyl I, every no, year. 100,000 dying from fentanyl every year. I know. I know it. Thank you for making time for us today. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Great to be with you. Panel, what do you do, Scott, in a world where Republicans and Democrats. So the, the problem, and you and I have talked about this, the problem in Washington, you just heard it right there. You know that Joe Biden would, doesn't want to hurt America. And, and he does too. And he, well, I, I'll, I, I will have to take him at his word, right? That's what he said he believes. So I have to take him at his word that that's what he believes. But uh, most Republicans know that Joe Biden doesn't want to hurt America. And I think that we saw a similar thing with Donald Trump and the Russia Gate, where it was like, well, Trump's a, put, a puppet of Putin and he's trying to destroy the country. We heard about Barack Obama. Well, he's a stealth Muslim secretly from Kenya who has come in to destroy the United States. George Bush lied. People died. He was trying to get us into the Iraq war. Give me on this holiday weekend Friday, give me a little <laughs> lift. Give me a little reason, counselor, to believe that we can get back to a politics in America where people don't question each other's motives and question each other's patriotism in each and every instance. Well, you have the extreme left and the extreme right that engage in that political um, uh, that, 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 that political rhetoric, but not political reality. I mean, when you, you really did a good interview, in my opinion, because you said... I only well, asked one question four right. times. I don't it, know if it was exactly. a Exactly, and it didn't get answered because it's hyperbole. You know, that right wing of the Republican Party, they, they believe something. They tell themselves it over and over again, and the more they tell themselves, they, they want it to be right and correct, and then they articulate it over and over again that takes on a life of its own. Until the extreme right and the extreme left, for that matter, get to the center and get reality. The whole impeachment thing of Biden is based on what they think, not not concrete evidence. Where's the high crime and misdemeanor because you just simply disagree with our policies? Julia, uh, we have made impeachment a pretty cheap thing in these United States, right? We can go back to we have we've now had uh, we're on our way to our fourth uh, inconsequential impeachment in which prosecutions uh, in the House died along party lines in the Senate. Bill Clinton, two for Donald Trump, and here comes Joe Biden. Are we losing impeachment as a real tool 
to hold people in power accountable if this is if it's just turning into uh, you did it tit for tat. Yes, because that's what it's turning into tit for tat. I mean, this is you know we heard well before Republicans re, uh, you know uh, this re- current Congress that they were going to plan on impeachment and you know following Congress maybe we'll see Democrats do it again. It goes back and forth, back and forth, and my fear is that we're going to be in this cycle of basically impeaching each other for the um, you know the wrongs of the last president. Bill, what happens to the presidency, not Joe Biden's presidency or not the next president, but what happens to the presidency over time if it is a constant, if every midterm election results in an impeachment? What happens to the office of the presidency? I've said it before. I agreed with Nancy Pelosi's standard before the first Trump impeachment, which is you don't initiate it unless the evidence is compelling and the support is bipartisan. And that went out the window with the first Trump impeachment. And I think we're living in a new political environment that was created by that mistake. Yeah. That's, uh, you, he, he lifted me up a little bit, and you just bummed me right back down. You just, <laughs> you just, you just took me right back down, Kelly. Well, you're going you're gonna to have to give us a lift. You're going you're gonna to have to brighten our spirits. Okay, coming up, the long Labor Day weekend will mean we will be gathering for our backyard cookouts and roasting our weenies. But in New York City, some privacy concerns as police use drones. To watch from above will explain why. Next. Tonight on News Nation, he was fired for praying with players after high school football games. Then he took his case to the Supreme Court and won. Now, eight years later, Coach Joe Kennedy's back on the sidelines and he's talking to Leland. That's tonight on On Balance. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ...are needed. Deputy Mayor for Public Safety Philip Banks arguing the city should be embracing this technology for safety purposes. So there's a lot of exploration going on. We don't need to be afraid of the unknown, though it may be a little bit of a human nature. Uh, but we're trying to keep this city as safe as fair as possible. And you're going to be seeing a lot of those particular things at the mayor's direction. Recent data reveals that the NYPD has used drones for public safety or emergency purposes 124 times this year, a significant jump from just four times the previous year. And Chris, New York is not alone in this matter. Across the nation, there are 140, excuse me, 1,400 police stations that are using drones to monitor their counties in various ways. Well, uh, I hope they're not looking at me. Uh, Sloan, thank you very much for your time. Uh, And good luck out there. Look out for flying objects. Okay, panel, uh, question for you. I want to start with you. Okay. 
How is that okay? My inner hillbilly recoils at the idea that the government can run a machine up in the air and snoop on me and look around. How, from this, from a civil liberty standpoint, how is this okay? Scott? I don't know about civil liberties, but from a legal standpoint, if you are in the public or in plain view mm-hmm. and a crime is being committed, one, you have no expectation of privacy. The Supreme Court has said that repeatedly. And secondly, it makes sense for the police to use this technology in large gatherings or just generally because it uh, it makes the community safer, if you will. You may not like it from a civil libertarian standpoint, but if you're going to do something wrong and you're going to do something you don't want people to see you do, you probably ought to go in the basement or go in your bedroom. Okay, but, I mean, there is a creep-out factor on this, right, guys? Like, Kelly... Uh, you would never do anything in your backyard or anywhere, as a matter of fact, that you would not be okay with the world knowing about. Um, but there is a skeeve factor here, right, about having eyes in the skies from the police looking at you. It's a little futuristic and a little scary to yeah. have this technology going around, but maybe it will help. Maybe people feel safer with, you know, the police department kind of keeping an eye on them over this weekend. Holiday weekends generally sometimes see a rise in crime, so maybe it'll work. New Yorkers, you better be living as clean as Kelly Meyer. That's what I tell you. You better be. You better <laughs> Do be it mind- privately. That's right. Mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> Meanwhile, the football season is once again upon us, but not just for the pros. High schoolers are gearing up for the Friday night lights as well. This season will be especially meaningful for one coach in Washington State. Joining me now, joining us now, is my friend Elizabeth Vargas. Elizabeth, this is quite a story. This is a, a, a great thing. Please tell us about it. Yeah, this is a coach uh, who was uh, went all the way to the Supreme Court. He Because he was fighting for the right to pray on the football field. Uh, he would lead um, after every game. He would go to the 50-yard line. And kneel down in prayer, and several of the teammates would come with him. And he was ordered by the school district to stop doing that. And he then didn't have had his contract not renewed. He was essentially fired because he refused to stop. Well, he appealed his case all the way up to the Supreme Court, which ruled he has a First Amendment right to pray. So that is what he's going to do tonight when they have their very first home football game since his victory in the Supreme Court. They are expecting a crowd, get this, Chris, of 10,000. Uh, normally 500 people arrive or, or go to these, these sorts of games. They're expecting a monumentally huge crowd. This has really touched a nerve, this fight over the freedom to pray and the Supreme Court ruling that it is, in fact, free speech. So we're going to delve into all of that with somebody who is a priest and who has written a lot about the intersection of sports and religion. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And we're going to have you on the show as well. I'm not going to ask you well, to channel your inner hillbilly, however. You can. Although, <laughs> you can. I'm, you I'm can. loving I'm, that. I'm available. And I tell, go on contract basis. And tell Kelly Meyer I will be channeling her this weekend so that no drones will spy me doing something That's suspicious right. exactly. at a Labor Day bring, weekend party. Bring it on. And uh, Elizabeth, that is why everybody... <laughs> should watch your show because you tell those deeper stories, you, you tell yeah. them with heart, uh, and you show us what America is really like beyond the headlines. And that's why everybody should be watching Elizabeth Vargas Reports at 6 p.m. Eastern tonight and every night. And Kelly Meyer, you've graced us with your goodness for as long as you can. Uh, you're going to leave now so you can go be with Elizabeth. She's taking you away from us, <laughs> but we thank you for your time. Thank we'll you. see you in a few minutes. Up next... We're talking about meat. We're talking about cooking meat for your Labor Day cookout, so stay with us. Mm-hmm. 
As we head into Labor Day, we are getting ready for a magical moment in the calendar. That's when it's still warm enough to be summer. You get a long weekend and college football has already started. So the crucial question for the panel, what are we going to eat? What is the correct thing to eat? And Julia, I'm going to start with you because I feel like you're going to set a good decorous standard for us about not being pigs so that so that we can we can aspire to Yeah, that. so this weekend for me is a little different because it's okay. my cousin's bridal shower and then it's my best friend's baby shower. So I feel like there's not going to be a lot of cookouts. It's going to be very girly or d'oeuvres, lots of champagne, not for my expectant friend, but mimosas. I like that, that you put that thing. in there. That yes, she won't be exactly. moving. I like yes. that. That's good. Yes. Okay, so finger sandwiches is your answer. Bill, what's your answer? Going to have the burgers and hot dogs, but also crabs. Oh, oh very nice. Okay, a little Maryland energy council. I smoke and barbecue Turkey necks, turkey wings, yes. turkey butts. Right there. You don't know where right turkey butt is. I'll tell you off camera. My brother really from another good. mother. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Of course, the correct answer is brats. Brats is the correct answer. <laughs> and we all know it. And I'm just sorry, yet again, to have to be the bearer of the hard news. The correct answer is always brats. Okay, guys, thank no you question. so much for being with us. Thank and you. thank you very much for watching The Hill on News Nation. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back right here on Monday at 5 p.m. And Elizabeth Vargas Reports starts right now. All right, an explosive new book details the inner workings of President Biden's White House and News Nation got an advanced copy. The Last Politician is a deep dive on Biden that was compiled over the past two and a half years by Atlantic writer Franklin Four. We'll bring you the best excerpts and ask what it'll mean for the president in an election year.